official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. Amen. Just to give me a frame of reference, how many folks here have ever read a portion or all of the entire book of Daniel? Can you raise your hand? Oh, good number of you. Awesome. Well, today we're going to start our new series in the book of Daniel. And when we teach from a book like this, it's important at the outset to provide a little historical context. And what that does is it helps us see how the book fits in the narrative arc of Scripture It also helps us see how the book kind of informs and becomes part of God's redemptive plan and his redemptive story. And also, when we take a few minutes to look at the context and the history of the book that we're going to be looking at, it also helps us apply the book's principles to our everyday lives. And so I'm going to take a few minutes this morning to just kind of give a a brief little intro to the book, and then we'll cover chapter one today. So the book of Daniel is set right after... Babylon attacks Jerusalem in around 605 BC, and it was the first of three attacks. So the the nation of Babylon attacked and besieged Jerusalem three different times over a 19-year period. And this, the book of Daniel, it kind of is set after that first attack. And the Babylonian strategy for this first attack was unique. What they did is they chose to take a wave of Israelites into exile and bring them back to Babylon. And it wasn't just any group of Israelites. They, they wanted to, to find the brightest young nobles from the Davidic royal family, and they wanted to, to take them captive and exile back to Babylon with the goal and the intention of training them and bringing them into Babylonian service. So it's a really unique tactic. Like, we'll go besiege a nation in a city will take their brightest young nobles and will bring them back and will train them for several years in our customs and ways, and then we'll force them to serve in our empire. And so Daniel and his three friends, which we're going to read about, who you know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're among these royal nobles who are captured in this first attack. And so the book of Daniel tells about their struggle to maintain hope while living in exile. And the book is is written in two languages. It's written in Hebrew and Aramaic, and then the, the, the back end of it goes back to Hebrew again. But the book can be divided into two main sections. We will cut it up into two sections. The first section is chapter one through six. The second section is chapter seven through 12. In the first section of the book, the first six chapters of the book are stories about Daniel and his friends. And they're stories about how their hope in God motivated their faithfulness. And they're stories of how they lived in this tension of being pulled in two directions. How many of you have ever faced living in a, in, in a tension where you were being pulled on two sides? So maybe, maybe your work was pulling you to do extra time and do this project. And then your family, right, was also pulling you in this direction, opposite directions. Or perhaps um, y- your friends were pulling you in a certain direction, but your values 
we're pulling you in an opposite direction, right? Have you ever lived in attention before? We actually live in tension all the time, but we just don't take the time to realize that's what it is. <laughs> and so in the book of Daniel, what we see is Daniel and his three friends are given wisdom and knowledge by God to live in this tension. And, and they're shown how, how their hope motivates their faithfulness to live in this tension. And so chapters one and six kind of tell stories of Daniel and his three friends and how they do that and how God assists them miraculously. We're going to see that they get in some really tricky situations where they need God's wisdom and God's knowledge, and he provides it for them just to kind of live in that place where they're being pulled. Because the the tension that they're living in, of course, is they have this empire, this Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, and, and his ways are very different than God's ways when we read the book. And so they're forced to serve in in this empire, and yet their faith in God and their conscience and their convictions are pulling them in another direction, and they're having to figure this out, like, how do we do this? And so the reason we're studying the book of Daniel as a church is because I believe that as followers of Jesus, we live in this tension all the time, right? It's not just at work. It's not just at home. It's not just with our friends and our values. it's, It's with our faith, right? where we're pulled in all these different directions and we're trying to decipher, man, what do I do here? God, you've got to give me wisdom and knowledge. I don't know how to navigate all this tension that I'm living in. Well, the book of Daniel uh, is going to kind of show us how Daniel and his friends did that and how God provided for them. The second part of the book, chapters 7 through 12, contain four visions that Daniel has about future events. And so the Chapter 7 through 12 is really prophetic and apocalyptic in nature. And it not only is amazingly accurate, these visions, but they also demonstrate on how God's kingdom supersedes human empires. Because, the main, again, the main tension that Daniel and his friends are in is they're living in this Babylonian world, this empire, and yet they're, they're part of the kingdom of God. And so they're trying to figure this out. How do we do this? We had it figured out. Now we're, now we're in exile. And we've got to figure out this new thing. And so I think uh, if you're here this morning and you could use a little more hope in your life, the book of Daniel is going to be a great place to land and study. If you need some hope on how to like, live in this crazy world, the book of Daniel is going to be really helpful. How many of you live in tension and you're like, oh, I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to make good choices in all the tensions that I find myself in. Man, the book of Daniel is going to be a great sermon series for you. You're going to be empowered just by studying and kind of looking at this book. And so over the next eight weeks, we're going to do that. We're going to kind of dig into the book of Daniel. And uh, let's jump in this morning right into chapter one. And we'll kind of see the basic tension of the book. I'm going to read the first five verses of the book. Daniel chapter one, verse one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off, to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, 
young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. And so this sets the backdrop, the stage of what's happening. Daniel and his three friends are taken captive. They're brought into exile. They're forced into King Nebuchadnezzar's service. As we walk through the opening chapters of the book of Daniel, we'll see what kind of character Nebuchadnezzar is. Uh, Let's just say his leadership style complicated matters quite a bit for Daniel and his friends. And Daniel and his friends are enrolled in this three-year internship, this intensive training program, and they're put in a very difficult situation. Because not only do they have to adjust to an environment that's unsympathetic to their faith, they have to serve a king who they don't agree with most of the time. They have to figure out how to hold on to their convictions and conscience. And another complication to the mix is this they were pressured to give up their Jewish identity. And we read this in the opening verses of the first chapter, that they were immersed in Babylonian culture and language and Babylonian literature. They took on Babylonian names. We see that in the first chapter. And hopefully you can appreciate uh, how hard that was for them. That not only have they been captured and taken captive and yanked out of their homes and brought into a strange land, but now they're forced into serving the king who did that to them. And they're going to forfeit their names. They're going to forfeit their heritage, their identity. They're going to learn Babylonian customs in ways that they don't agree with. And so right from the start of this book, they're having to navigate some pretty tricky circumstances. And it's really an almost impossible situation because if they refuse to adapt, they'll be killed, which is pretty simple, but also pretty daunting. But if they succumb to all these pressures, they're going to lose who they are and they're going to have to live with the regret of not standing firm, right? Of succumbing to these pressures. Now, one thing we'll see throughout the book of Daniel is this theme and idea of knowledge and wisdom coming from God. And in verse 17 of the first chapter, it says this, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So from the very first chapter, we see God giving them an ability to learn to understand how many students could be like, oh God, give me that, right, in your studies. Or if you're at a new job site, if you're interning, God, give me that ability to learn, study, understand. And and when we look at this first chapter, it's almost as if God was equipping them for this type of service. It's almost like God was inviting them into this tension, right, To, to show his kingdom inside of an empire, to to shine his light inside of darkness. It's almost like God was inviting them in and then, oh, I'm going to give you what you need to do that. And as we'll see in the next few chapters, uh, in the next couple of weeks, they needed all the understanding and wisdom they could get. They were put in some really tricky tensions. And so let's take a look at how Daniel and his friends navigated all this. 
The first thing that we notice in chapter one is that they choose their battles. There's three things they're faced with, three tensions, three things that are pulling on them in chapter one. Number one, they're given new names. They're asked to abandon kind of their Jewish heritage and identity and take on Babylonian names, the names of the same, the same kind of names of the folks who captured them. And you can imagine that that was pretty difficult for them, but it was something that they decided they could tolerate. The second thing was they also had to accept re-education, and they probably had to learn some things that they didn't agree with. In chapter 2 of Daniel, we'll see this next week, but what happens is we find out that, that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, his cabinet was comprised of sorcerers and astrologers and magicians and enchanters. Now, those are not things you're going to learn about in Torah. And so Daniel and his friends, they have the Old Testament Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They're learning scripture. They're learning Torah. They're learning God's ways. Now they have to relearn this, all this stuff they don't even really understand or agree with. Because the cabinet, that's what the, his cabinet is. And they didn't push back on that, which is odd. So they take on new names because they could, something they could tolerate. And I'm sure it was difficult. Like, oh man, we're hearing this class and this, we're taking this class on, on astrology and sorcery and it's not like lining up with, with, with what God wants us to do. But what we see is they take a stand on one issue, one of the three issues, and it's food. Strangely enough, it's food. So let's read this passage here and starting in verse eight. But Daniel resolved, that word resolve means like he took a flag and stuck it in the ground. Like, this is where I make my stand, right? Like, I'm able, yeah, I don't like that I have to take a Babylonian name and lose my heritage, um, but God's giving me wisdom to kind of navigate that and negotiate. I don't really like that I have to sit in these classrooms learning about sorcery and enchanting, but God's just going to, like, help me through that. But here is where I put my flag. He says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Look at this. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They also received those Babylonian names. Verse 12, Daniel said, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier, better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink, and he gave them vegetables instead. And so this is a kind of an odd piece of the story, right? It's a, it's a pretty obvious question after you read that is why the pushback on food? Like you took on, you lost your identity, you took on a Babylonian name. You, you're sitting in these classes that like, are in opposition to Torah and, and God's way. Why, why food? Well, 
uh, the, the passage gives us some hints, and, and some Bible scholars say, uh, pick up on these hints, that it was because Daniel didn't want to violate Jewish food laws. And actually, there's a lot of truth to that. We see that in this passage. However, the Jewish food laws didn't restrict all food, just certain kinds of food. And also, the Jewish food laws didn't restrict the drinking of wine. And so Daniel says, I'm not even going to drink the king's wine. I'm going to drink water. And so why? What else was Daniel concerned about? Well, this was more than just about food laws. In Jewish culture, sharing a meal carried covenant significance. And so for Daniel and his friends, if he was to actually share the, king ta- the king's table food, what he would be doing is it was a symbol of dependence on that king. It was an implied, unquestioned loyalty. So in Daniel's mind, in Daniel's culture, if he ate the, the, the king's food, even the food that didn't violate the Jewish food laws, it, what he was doing if he did that is he was, he was giving unquestioned loyalty and support to this Babylonian king. And that's something he was just absolutely not willing to do. Because he wanted his first obligation to be to God. His first obligation was to God. That's who his, his loyalty sat with. And yes, he would serve this king. He would try to navigate the tensions of, of, of serving in this empire that, that to him was very backwards. To, to God's law was very backwards. And yet he's, he, he put a, a flag in the ground. He chose this battle and said, no, here's where, here's where there will be no compromise. Because my unquestioned loyalty belongs to one person, Jehovah, God, not King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, this request made the official very nervous because the official is in charge of making sure that Daniel and his friends are well fed and it's an investment in them, right? And so he says, Daniel, if you don't eat this king's food and, and wine and you just eat vegetables and drink water you're going to be thin you're not going to look as good as the, the other interns and, and, he, and the king could kill me which gives you a little picture into what kind of person king nebuchadnezzar was right how he functioned and operated and so god gives daniel favor and the official agrees to this 10-day test of just vegetables and water. Now, this is known by many today as a Daniel-type fast. Have you ever heard of a Daniel fast before? A Daniel-type fast is, is when you, you, you fast uh, food for a certain amount of time. Uh, it's called a partial fast. You're still eating some, but you're not eating all the delicacies and the things you want to eat. You're eating vegetables and drinking water. And there's all kinds of different Daniel fasts and partial fasts. How many of you are familiar with fasting? A few of you are familiar with fasting. Fasting is a spiritual practice that we find all throughout Scripture. And it's a spiritual practice where we reduce or abstain from food or certain foods for a period of time. And the purpose of fasting is to focus on spiritual growth in a season of depending on God. And so Jesus himself fasted. Remember when he he says he fasted and he went into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, right? And then we see Satan finding him in the wilderness after Jesus is hungry because he's fasting. And he says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus replies, he quotes a scripture from the Old Testament. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
right? So fasting is a time when we kind of focus on spiritual growth, focus on a dependence on God. Now, fasting isn't directly commanded by Jesus in Scripture, but all throughout Scripture, it's included and it shows its benefits. Maybe one day down the road, we'll invite the church to join us in a Daniel-type fast. The last church that I pastored at and was a part of, we... um, Every year in January, we would have a, a Daniel-type fast and invite, and some folks from the church could do it. Some folks couldn't for health reasons. Some just chose not to. And some gave up TV. Some gave up food and just ate vegetables and water. But it was really beautiful because it was a time every year when our church was like seeking God, and, and, and we said, hey, let's focus on spiritual growth and dependence on God for this season. So who knows? Maybe down the road, we'll invite you guys to join us in that. Um, I have a feeling we will one day. Well, after this 10-day test is over, Daniel and his friends pass the test with flying colors. They're healthier. They're better nourished than the other interns in training. And the official in charge says, okay, you've proved your point. I'm going to give you vegetables and water. You don't have to eat the king's food or the king's wine. And we, it's easy to read that passage without understanding how risky of a protest that was. We can just think, oh, yeah, big deal. They ate vegetables and water. No, people's lives were on the line in this test. Like when they planted their flag there and they said, no, we will not, our, we will not give our unquestioned loyalty to this king. We will serve him, but our unquestioned loyalty only belongs to God. And they put their flag there. People's lives are on the line, but God comes through for them in a real powerful way because they're, they're, they're following their conviction and their conscience, Right? Well, let's read a couple more verses. Let's read verse 18 through 20. Look what happens next. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, so it was three years later, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them. And he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Now, at first glance, we read that passage and it sounds great. It sounds like a testimony you would hear in church, right? Like, God just blessed us. I got a promotion. Everything went well. I passed the test. God gave me favor. The king found me ten times better than the others in training. Wow, look at how God came through but not so fast because their lives are about to get way more complicated now. Have you ever had God bless you in something and maybe you you had a season of life that was really challenging and God just came through for you and blessed you. You're like, whoa, that was amazing. But then that very blessing caused more responsibility and tension in your life. Right? You go to college and you get your job, you, you get your first job, and you're like, whoa, I did it. I hate college. I get this job. This is amazing. And you do really good on your first project. And all of a sudden, your boss recognizes you. You're like, whoa, it's great. He's promoting me. You get a promotion, and all of a sudden, he gives you three times the work, and you don't know how to do any of it. <laughs> so sometimes it's, it's God's blessing that brings us into more tension. And we're like, whoa, wait a second. I, I thought this would just get easier. <laughs> And that's kind of what happens here. Because now the king knows who they are. They're useful to him. But he is running this empire that's complete contradiction to the kingdom of God. And now they're going to call 
He's going to call on them more. And the closer they get to the king, the more tension they're going to experience. But here's the thing about the book of Daniel. They don't run from it. They embrace it. Why? Because they were crazy enough to hope that God would come through for them. That God would continue to provide them with wisdom and knowledge so that they could be a light in the darkness. So that they could show and demonstrate God's kingdom in this empire. And part of me wonders if they had any conversations together after this. Like they passed the test, the king like is questioning them, they're just acing everything, they're nailing it. They probably walked away like, that was amazing, high-fiving each other. And I wonder if they had the question, like I wonder what this means for us now. Like we got through this first chapter where, man, we, we had to go through all this tension. I wonder if we're gonna have more <laughs> tension now because now the king knows who we are. And here's what makes this story so peculiar is that our tendency is to avoid and run away from tension and complexity, not run toward it, (laughs) right? Our tendency is to avoid complications. We want our lives to be easier, not more complicated, not more difficult. Who here has ever said, man, I wish my relationships were more complex and had more tension. I wish me and my spouse, we fought more. I wish, like, you know, my siblings and I didn't get along. We just need more tension in my life. I need more complexity and more difficulty. Nobody says that. Or does anybody say, oh, I wish my, my job, my bosses and my coworkers just didn't get along as well. And I wish they weren't so knowledgeable about their jobs and everything just kind of fell through the cracks and I had to clean it all up. And I wish that they, they just treated me worse because it's just too good. My life's too, my work's too easy. Does anybody here ever say that? Don't raise your hand. People will hate you if you raise your hand. Or have you ever said, oh, I wish I got paid less at my job. I just need a little bit more tension in my life. I I need to feel the pain of not having enough money to pay for my bills. No, we don't hope for tension. We don't hope for complexity. We don't hope for difficulty. We don't chase after complications. We run away from them. We, We feel complexity in a relationship or in a job, and we just leave. This is too hard. Then sign up for this. This is too complex. This is too difficult. God, if I'm following God, it's going to be easy. Not this. This is not, this is not from God. <laughs> right? We run away from them. I can't tell you how many times, even me as a pastor, I've, I've prayed this prayer. God, can you just like get me out of this? God, can you just like, just get, uh, my finances are in trouble. Can you just kind of take care of this for me? Or God, like I have this relational conflict. Could you just deal with it so I don't have to? Or God, I have this, this I'm, I'm, I'm caught in this tension of two things that are they're pulling me. Can you just make sure they both go away so I don't have to deal with this tension and complexity and difficulty? And here's the crazy thing. Somewhere along the way, as followers of Jesus, we've convinced ourselves that following him should be easy. And I'm not sure how this happened. Our primary metaphor and symbol for our faith is an instrument of death. We wear it around our necks and we say, this is what I identify with, the cross. This is, this, is, this is who I am. This is who I identify with. And yet we expect everything, God to come in and make everything easy for us. And we neglect to see the difficulty and the challenges and the tension that following Jesus invites us into. Guys, I'm going to tell you, 
um, I, I sometimes I see this bumper sticker and it says, try Jesus. And it's as if Jesus is going to make all your problems go away. Just try it out. That's such a fraud. When you follow Jesus, life gets more difficult and complex, not easier. You, you're invited into more tensions, not less. Because he often invites us into some challenging, dangerous places. Just read the Bible and you'll see. And what we, we read in the book of Daniel, what we discover is this, that sometimes God does answer those prayers. God, could you bail me out of this? And he just miraculously says, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I got this one. <laughs> right? He does that for us. And it's so encouraging when he does that. But there's other times when he invites us into tension. God, could you just make my job easier? I just can't deal with my coworkers. And sometimes God will, and sometimes he says, no, it's really good for you to be in that tension. See, when I was a kid, I'd wake up in the middle of the night in excruciating pain in my legs. And I was having growing pains. Do you remember when you were a kid, you were having growing pains? My legs would just be throbbing, excruciating. I'd be tossing and turning for a couple hours at night, just, oh. But the one thing I would often do is, because I knew they were growing pains, is I would tell myself, hey, Adam, it's going to be okay. You're growing right now. That pain and discomfort and the lack of sleep you're getting, it, it's, you're growing. You're going to be better at basketball tomorrow than you are today. <laughs> so you're going to be a little bit taller. And I, I would just hold on to that and be like, yeah, okay, oh, this, this stinks. Oh, I hate, but I'm growing. See, here's the thing about growth. You only grow when you're uncomfortable. And so when we're constantly asking God, God, um, take, make this easy for me. One of two things can happen. Either we get mad at him when he doesn't, or we don't grow. And sometimes he comes and inter- miraculously intervenes. And it's like, I'm going to take that pain away. I'm going to take that complexity out of your life. I'm going I'm to help you kind of navigate that. And other times he says, I'm just going to leave you in that tension, and you're going to depend on me, and you're going to grow. And that's when we have to tell ourselves, oh, this, this is really hard. I have this tension, this pain, this uncomfortable. But you know what? I'm going to grow in my faith through this because I'm depending on God more. See, the only time you actually grow in your faith is when you're uncomfortable. When we have to show dependence on God. If we didn't have to show dependence on God, how would we grow in our faith? And so here's my question I'm going to leave you with this morning. What tensions are you living in right now, today? Think about areas where you're being pulled in different directions. Your coworkers, your family were wanting you to go this direction, your values and your conscience and your convictions wanting you to go to this direction. Kind of the world that you're living in, it, 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 the systems, it tells you to do this and that the scripture and God's word tells you to do this and you're pulled in two. Are there any complexities that you're avoiding and running away from that God may be inviting you into that tension to provide you with wisdom and knowledge, his divine wisdom and knowledge, so that you can be a light, so that you can make an impact, so that you can leave a mark, that you can point to Jesus? Where do you need God's wisdom? Maybe you're in a place of tension. You're just trying to figure out what battles to fight. <laughs> you could fight 100 battles right now. You could walk out of this room and you could start your week and you know you could fight 100 battles if you wanted to because they're there. But you need God's wisdom. 
You need God's knowledge. You need to depend on God and say, okay, I'm okay in this tension if you're with me, God. You got to tell me which one of these to plant my flag in right now. This week, which, where am I going to do that? And where are the ones you're telling me, no, don't, I got that. We'll, we'll get to that one next week or next month or down the road or I'll take care of it all together. We, we need God's wisdom because we're, if we're following Jesus today, man, there's tensions everywhere. We need, we need hope that God is going to provide for us. Man, I don't know about you, but I turn on the news and I see all of the stuff that's happening in the world. I just need hope for a future where God is, is going to, to redeem and fix things. Right? And so, but, but I'm stuck in this tension of kind of like, oh, there's all this, but, but, but God's calling me to, to, into that tension to be a light. And so if you're here this, this morning um, I, and, and you're, you're saying, yeah, you know what? I've got some tensions in my life. I need some hope in my life. I want to encourage you to dive into the book of Daniel with us over the next several weeks as we just kind of look at how Daniel and his friends navigated all these tensions and how God provided for them all the wisdom and knowledge, you're going to be blown away by the stories you read. How God just miraculously intervenes for them. Guess what? He wants to do that for you too. In your homes, your workplaces, your classrooms, your neighborhoods. He wants to do that for you too. And so close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to lead us in prayer. I just want you to think of any tension you're, you're feeling in your life where you're being pulled in different directions. You need God's wisdom. I'm just going to pray a prayer for us. Lord, God, thank you that your ways are not our ways, that your thoughts are above our thoughts, even though we think ours are better sometimes. Lord, we just acknowledge that yours are always the best. And Lord, I pray that you would miraculously intervene for folks that need intervention. And I also pray that, Lord, you would invite those of us into tension who need to be in tension. Not because you want to make our lives miserable, but because you want to show who you are. So, Lord, we're going to need courage for that. Just like Daniel and his friends, we're going to need wisdom. We're going to need knowledge that we cannot come up with on our own. It, it has to come from you. We have to know which battles to fight and when to fight them. We have to know that you're with us, that, that you're before us, that it's you who's working and not just our own strength. So Lord, help us with that. As we engage this book and we study this book for the next several weeks, would you open up the, the principles and truths that you inspired to soak into our hearts and lives and transform us, to give us those things that, that you provided for Daniel and his three friends. Lord, we need them. We live in a time in a, in a, where there's just tension everywhere. We want to be faithful. We want to have hope for the future. We want to be able to live in that tension so that we can show the world who Jesus is. It's a big task, God. We need your help. We can't do it on our own. So help us, God. Amen. Amen. Why don't we... Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.